Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and I'm back again. It's been a long break. I've been working on a project I hope you'll get to see one day. More on that another time. For now, it's just good to be back in the chair. Today on the podcast is Noah Asanias. Noah is a portrait and fashion photographer based in Vancouver, British Columbia. He's shot for Lululemon, All Saints, and with actors and personalities from across film and television and beyond, from the half of its Leah Lewis to NBA star Meta World Peace. Before he got to where he is today, he had just $3,000 in his bank account. He was laid off from his job. He had one camera and one lens. Today, he's a full-time photographer coming off his biggest year yet, and he's showing no signs of stopping. This episode of Story Untold is brought to you by Focal at bookfocal.com. Focal is the next evolution in booking and business platforms for photographers. If you're a photographer and you've ever wished for a better way to sell photos, Focal is a marketplace designed for you. And not only that, you can send invoices, collect payments, build packages, and manage bookings. And it's free to join and get started. Head to bookfocal.com platform to learn more. Now back to the show. Here's Noah. I thought I would wanted to start with something a little bit different, and that is uh, the way that you sign off on your emails. Could you explain the word Mabuhai, the significance of that? <laughs> I love that question. So I'm from Philippines. I was born and raised in Philippines. I moved to Vancouver, Canada for about eight years ago. So Mabuhai means long live or have a prosperous life, basically. And that's something that we typically say in Philippines when we're addressing somebody. Or when we have a speech, we open with Mabuhay and we close with Mabuhay as well. Tell me a little bit about that. Coming from the Philippines, where's where's home in the Philippines? If we can go back to the beginning for a moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I actually grew up about five hours north of Manila, which is a very small town in Philippines. Um, I grew up five minutes from the beach. Like I, I go off with my surfboard, and that's kind of my day growing up. And then. I wasn't really thinking about photography or any arts at the time. Um, growing up um, in a small town, like all I can think of, the profession at least that I have in my mind is doctors, lawyers, fishermen, or farmers. Hmm. And my whole life, I thought I was going to be either one of those. But I guess luckily, my dad saw the potential in me that he put me in a fine arts during my university because he saw that I was good in arts, I guess, better in arts than in science. <laughs> so I started pursuing that. Funny enough is when I go to university, I actually didn't know that I was in um, in a fine arts school. I thought I was in business advertising. Uh, <laughs> I only found out two weeks after being in fine arts advertising because we didn't do anything but to draw. And I asked my instructor, asking like, when are we going to like learn about business part of advertising? And he said like, oh, not until two years from now. And that's when I realized it was finance advertising. <laughs> Where, what was the, what was the glimmer of potential that you think your dad saw? Like what, what kind of things were you doing that showed uh, promise in that field? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess before that is, so I grew up with a family of doctors and basically everyone in my family is in the medical field, except mm. for me. Mm -hmm. And I've always been afraid of blood. So I guess I didn't have any feature in that. <laughs> <laughs> I faint when I see blood and I still do. I, I still can't handle it. But um, I was a photojournalist and an illustrator in my local high school newspaper. 
Mm. And that what kind of started all of this, I guess, art form. Like I didn't have a camera till I was, I believe, 18. Like I was just borrowing my dad's digital camera, which is a two megapixel camera at the time. And that's what I was using for the school paper. And I'm pretty sure I only got in the school paper because I have an access to a camera. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that I'm skilled or anything like that. Like I, I was the guy in high school among the few other guys that have a camera. So when I apply for that role, then they have no choice, I guess, but to accept me. But that piqued my interest in photography because there are a few photo competitions within the region that I was stubborn enough to join and lucky to win uh, win one of the awards. Mm. And that, that was, I think I was maybe 15 at the time, but I still didn't take it seriously after that. Like I, it was just something that I do on the side as a hobby. Mm. That school paper that you were working for, was there a most memorable assignment that you were working on during that time? Not really, because all that we're doing in the school newspaper is basically documenting what's happening in the school, like the events that we have, for example, we have a week of, let's say Independence Day. So we celebrate that in the Philippines or yeah. the town festival. And we would just basically, well, at least for me, I would only photograph what's happening in school. So there's nothing really that exciting if now that I'm looking back. But I think for me, what really excites me at the time is having access to the backstage. I've always wanted that in my life mm-hmm. and holding a camera back then, like I get to be at the backstage, see who's playing or who's dancing or who's performing. And it's nothing big. There's no big celebrity. It's usually my classmates or my schoolmates that are performing. But I just always wanted to be in backstage. For sure. A camera is a pretty good passport like that. It'll get you places. It is. It is. (laughs) Uh, Aside from that, you mentioned the surfboard earlier. So surfer kid uh, or what, what kind of things were you doing in your downtime? Back then, since I'm pretty close to the beach, like... When I, I started learning surfing, maybe around, I'll say 15. Mm-hmm. Um, so was, there was a time that every weekend I would go to the surf camp and kind of like spend my my whole weekend there. Uh, and aside from that, I uh, I was a drummer when I was growing up. So I was just with my bandmates and we were practicing from 9 a.m. until our neighbors start knocking at our door, basically. I didn't really have much interest in visual arts uh, when I was a kid. What What kind of band were you playing in? Uh, we were doing emo or punk rock. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I still wear skinny jeans, so I guess it, it stays with me. Uh, so so you go off to college, uh, and you only realize after a time that you're actually in this fine arts program. Take me to that time period a little bit. That realization hits. How does the next semester and the next year go? What, a, what sorts of things are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the biggest difference between being in... Uh, I guess in North America uh, compared to Philippines is in Philippines we we don't really take a gap year and there's kind of this shame that was put upon an individual when you quit university or when you decided to shift career or shift um, studies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so because of that I, I it's what kept me going in my university uh, to finish my final degree so I was in my first year after two weeks I found out that I was actually in, a, in fine arts advertising instead of business advertising but because of my ego, I just stayed with it and I actually started liking it. It's funny enough because the reason that I got accepted to that university is because they lost my drawing. Of all the people, it was my drawing that got lost and I didn't know how to draw at this time. I was pretty okay with it, but nothing compared to my classmates. Mm-hmm. But I kept going with it. Um, I learned a few 
tricks, I guess, in in in, in sketching and in painting. But I wasn't I was never really good at it until I hit the third year, which we started doing like a digital aspect for it. For example, three D rendering or Photoshop and Illustrator. And I remember I have a photography class that I never really took it seriously because I, number one, I didn't have a camera. So I was just borrowing my classmates camera at the time, or I was just asking for extra images that they're not submitting to my instructor. Mm-hmm. And those are the one that I was using. I was very, at this time, I was very focused in my advertising career. I thought that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I focused more on the marketing side, which is the analytics part, um, like market research, um, like knowing your demographic. Um, customer journey mapping and yeah so more of that aspect more than the visual because i was always being intrigued in how someone would purchase um, an item or how you can create brand loyalty in in, in the image mm-hmm. or in, in the product itself so yeah so i didn't really took my my university days seriously until my third year when when the marketing was introduced and from there i fell in love with advertising i pursued it for I think about four or six years um, after university. And yeah, it was good until I felt exhausted with the demand that advertising um, is asking. Mm. How, how far did you go down that path in those four years? Like what, uh, what kind of roles were you doing and what was sort of that realization, I suppose, that maybe it wasn't for you after all? Yeah, so I started uh, in the accounts. Um, I'm not sure if the terminology in Northern America is the same, but I started in accounts, which we basically handle the clients. Uh, mm-hmm. We're the one who talks to the client, what they want, what they need, and then we um, we do our market research for it, and then work with the creative team and try to create come up with an idea. So that's where I started. After a few months, I moved to um, we call it the visualizer. Now it's just called graphic designer. Mm-hmm. So I moved to that because that is my background in advertising. And I really enjoyed that aspect. And then eventually after a year, I became an art director for a big um, ad agency in Philippines. After working there, I handled big client, international clients, and we were hiring photographers every time we were doing it or cinematographers. And then because I was exposed to that world, I was very intrigued in how this, this particular person um, that I admired back in Philippines, and he was way younger than me, but he was doing big campaigns, and he was able to make a living out of it. Um, mm-hmm. Another background in Philippines, the only type of photographers that I know in Philippines growing up are the paparazzis. In Philippines, when there's a wedding, we don't really hire a wedding photographer, at least in the countryside. This this particular photographer in my hometown that would come in, take a few shots, and then she would print it, and she would put it outside the venue for people to buy so that was my only exposure of photographer at the time until I met this photographer that I keep hiring for advertising work. So I took him out one time for a dinner because I was very intrigued in how he's able to make a living doing what he loves to do. And then I think that's what opened my eye that it is possible to do it. And there's a lot of avenues for it. It's very different in, in Philippines than in North America. But even in Philippines, there are a lot of ways to do it. And because of that, my interest in photography just grew and grew. Finally, I picked up my camera, went to a lighting workshop, and I just became obsessed with the studio lighting after that. What time period are we talking when you have that conversation with that photographer? Like what, what year, if you could recall? Yeah. Year? This is probably between 2010 and 2012. Okay, so you have, have that kind of that influenced that conversation then and, and a bit of a spark, uh, but mm. still working 
as an art director on that side of things for a while after mm -hmm. that still? That's right. That's right. How does the switch happen to becoming a full-time photographer? So I actually went to Vancouver for my sister's wedding on 2012. And then I ended up liking Vancouver and I wanted to stay. And for me to be able to stay in the country, I needed to go to school. Originally, my plan was just to be here for a year and maybe go back in Philippines and, and continue being an art director. Mm -hmm. But during my time in, in, in my school in Vancouver, I met more people that are doing what I aspire to be, which is a portrait photographer or a fashion photographer. And through that, they were able to mentor me and how the business works. Um, how do you develop your portfolio? And in that year, I kept meeting, like, for example, um, like a, an agent from, from big international modeling agency, tried to pick up their brain and, and what are they looking for a photographer? What makes a good photographer, for example, or a great photographer? Um, so yeah, so after my schooling here, I just didn't want to go home and I wanted to pursue photography here because I knew that if I go back, it's, it's not going to be the same. Like the market is very different and my aesthetics for my type of work is not, not in Asia, it's more in North America. Mm. So, yeah, so I stayed. What kind of work did you have to pick up in order to stay if you did? Like, uh, were you still working in addition to schooling? Were you, uh, like, what, what kind of placements did you have during that time period? Yeah, so I didn't have a work visa at the time. So I can only be in Vancouver for school. And after school, that was a one-year program, there was a shift in immigration that I wasn't able to get my work visa right away. So I waited for another year with only my visitor's visa in Vancouver. So I wasn't able to work. But during that time, I met this amazing photographer in town as one of my mentors who is a portrait and food photographer. And I asked him like if I can assist him on his photography and like he doesn't have to pay me because I can't accept any payment anyways. But all I was asking is, is access to his studio when he's not using it. Mm -hmm. So that worked out pretty well because he let me shoot on his studio pretty much every weekend. And that's how I built my portfolio. And I remember at the time, um, few brands would reach out to me for a shoot, but I couldn't tell them that I can't work in Vancouver just because I didn't want, I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want to confuse people. Right. So all I did is I hike up my rate like really high that I know they would say no to it. <laughs> um, but that had helped me out later on because when I was able to get my work permit, that everybody was used to my high rate that, they were, right. that some of them were okay to hiring me at that rate without any question. Right, right, right. Yeah, everyone yeah. knew already that uh, you had that value associated with you. Uh, so yes. there was no adjustment period of, of people having to get used to that uh, all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. What kind of things were you shooting during that time? I was focused in fashion at the time. I really wanted to be a fashion photographer. But to be honest, I didn't understand anything about fashion. I didn't even know about couture, for example. So all I know is I wanted to be a photographer for H&M or uh -huh. for Zara. Because those are the only things that I, that, that, that I see and that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. One thing that I forgot to mention is during that two years that I couldn't work, and I, and I, I said this to all of my friends, I was eating pizza every single day because that's all I can afford. It was a $2.50 for two slices and a pop. Where are you getting the pizza from? Oh, it was right close to my school. <laughs> it was the cheapest food that I can find that would help me survive for the next two years. <laughs> <laughs> is the is the pizza place still there? Like, what's what's the name of the place? No, it's called Pizza Place. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's actually not there anymore, so <laughs> unfortunately. Okay, so uh, the work visa takes a while to fall into place, but that comes in. Uh, how how does that change mm -hmm. things then for you? So for me, the moment it came in, I was 
recruited by a big fashion brand in Vancouver. And this is kind of what jumpstart my career, I think. So mm -hmm. I started working for this fashion brand. Everything was doing well. They have access to the best talent in town and overseas. So we were flying models all over the world to do their e-com. Um, but I've always wanted to do their campaign shoot. But unfortunately, they don't use their in-house uh, crew for, for campaigns. So they would always hire an external. Mm. And then I was actually a senior retoucher at the time. I wasn't a, a photographer, but I was able to take some photos here and there when the photographers let me um, chat with them, learn a little bit from them, get to meet uh, my studio manager, which was from France before, which I've learned a lot of things about equipment as well. Mm -hmm. So this is what helped build my career as a photographer. Because mm -hmm. before this, I didn't have access to real world experience, I would say. But unfortunately, that career for me ended in less than a year because I actually got fired from this company. But it's also me being fired that put fire on my back to, to push me to get to where I am now. So after I was fired, I only had $3,000 in my bank account. I have one camera and one lens. And all I know to do is photography and no one's hiring at the time. Yeah. So I bought a few lights with whatever I have. Um, I started shooting corporate um, headshots. Yeah, and I remember my very first client. I made five grand um, just by doing corporate headshot. So within that five grand, I reinvested that back to this, to my business, which is photography. So I bought more lights that are better lighting equipment than uh, than I have, and I just keep doing that. I keep trying to find this um, big projects, and then using all that money to fuel um, the equipment or the portfolio that I need for my photography. Mm. This is this is around 2016, right? When this is happening? Yes, this there is 2016. Was, yeah. So, I mean, a big change, right? From having this job mm. to then having to make ends meet on your own with, you know, one camera, one lens to do it with. That's a that's a big leap to take and 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 mm -hmm. to be able to find your footing. Uh, what did you learn from mm. making that leap in that time period? A good question. One of my mentors have told me in the beginning of my journey in photography, um, she was actually a makeup artist. She told me to survive the first two years. And I didn't know what the two years meant until the two years had happened. So what she actually meant by it is the first two years is going to be the hardest. And after two years, most likely, the people around you would, would start to remember your name. They mm -hmm. would know that I am a photographer, that now I've become their go-to photographer. So I guess one thing that I learned from that aspect is you just have to keep going no matter how hard it is. And if you really like what you're doing, then you kind of have to learn how to make the ends meet. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's unfortunate that there were probably, I would say, five photographer friends that I have that we were all starting at the same time and none of them are, are shooting now. And a lot of, I would say at least, if not all of them, like three of them are way better than me and way more business savvy than I am. But it's because it, and I fully respect them. Maybe this is not what they wanted, but I fully believe that if they kept going, their career is probably way better than than me right now. Mm -hmm. Not not that I am anywhere close to where I wanted to be. Like there's still a long way for me to to get to be there. Right. Um, but I, but it's a pretty sustainable business. Like I only work two or three times a week now, and I'm able to sustain my my cost of living, cost of doing business. Yeah. Yeah. So during that time period, you're talking about basically reinvesting everything that you're earning into better equipment, better gear. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how, how vital do you think that was in terms of your progression? I'm sure that's not always easy to do when the, when the first thing you want to do when you get 
money, I mean, there's lots of things, you know, rents due, there's other things that are due, but deciding mm -hmm. to spend it on those things. That's another good question. Um, okay, there's, there's a few things that I, uh, there's different ways that I can answer that. One of them is I, I believe in investing in the best gear that I can get my hands on. Other photographers believe as well that it doesn't matter what your equipment is. So I guess I'm explaining this because this will explain more of my logic. So when I started out, I actually did a few wedding photography. And my problem with wedding photography is it's you always have to find a new client. You can't have a reoccurring client. And for me, that's the hardest part of the business is finding the, a client. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's when it, I really pivot and focus on the fashion side first. And this is coming from an advertising and someone who likes marketing and basically the psychology of why people buy. I know that people remember you for how you make them feel more than more than the product that you're giving to them. So for me, having a, a nice experience in, in, in the photo shoot has always been very important. I want to make sure that everyone's happy, that my client is happy. I want to make sure that the talent feels like they're safe in the space as well. And I want to make sure that um, I'm creating an environment that people want to be in. So jumping into your question and how important is the reinvesting part, I was fortunate enough that my dad was a businessman in Philippines. And I learned from him that the money should not be sitting in, in my bank, not doing anything. Like I always have to invest it either in my business, in stocks or, or real estate. And because of that mindset, I really, and I really wanted to, to do photography. I've learned and I trusted that I always have to grow my business. So rather than let's say 3000, 10,000 or whatever money that is just sitting in my bank account, making like 2% or 1% or return in your savings account, I'd rather put that in my business, which I know can get a higher percentage of return. Right. I don't know if that makes sense, but that has been my logic since I started this photography business. Hmm. You've written before uh, about having to learn to listen to your gut feeling, even though it's against everyone's advice. I'm thinking about this time period that you're in of you know figuring things out, the $3,000 in your pocket. Could you talk about that? Hmm. Yeah. Man, you have a good questions. <laughs> okay, so in, in, in visual arts, I think, or in arts in particular, a lot of people would tell you what you should do and how you should do it. But the problem is you're the only person who actually knows your business. Like when I was starting out, for example, my and this is a mistake that I have done in the past. My very first campaign, I only charged $800 for the whole day. And because of that, local photographers um, in town get upset about it. Uh, about it. And then they sat me down and told me that that's not how the business should go, that this should how it should go, which I'm very grateful for. Like, that's how I found out how much I should be charging. But there's also other photographers that have approached me or agents, um, like modeling agents that have approached me telling me how I should run my business. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is it's a good tip that they were that they were giving to me, but they're not the one putting roof on my head or, or food in my plate. So at the end of the day, you, you just have to trust what you believe is right, but also have the knowledge in, in, in the industry and what you're trying to do. Like you can't, like for me, for example, I can't be charged. I know now for a fact that I can't be charging $800 for a few factors. One, my business is not going to survive in six months if I, that's, it's, that's the only thing that I charge. Number two is I'm actually destroying the industry that I'm trying to get in, the industry that I love. And another one is wood style. And this is something that I'm still working on. Every, every client that comes to me in the beginning wanted a certain look, like I have to copy a certain image. And that's great in the beginning because 
I don't know what I was doing. I, I, I know the technical aspect of it. I can deliver what they wanted. Right. But the problem now is the style. Like everybody would tell you that niches is where the riches. So 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 when it comes to your style, you you really have to trust in your gut feeling and what excites you the most. And this is, I think it's going to be a constant battle for photographers trying to figure out what their style is, trying to listen to their inner voice more than what their roommate or what their best friend is saying or what another photographer is saying. But I say like that's that's probably the most important part of being a creative is trusting in your gut feeling as an artist. And um, especially when a client, when a big client start coming in, that they say like, okay, this is the budget that we have, this is the shoot that we want, do whatever you want with it. Right. I don't know if that answers the question. Right. Well, that that prompts a few questions as well. I mean, one thought being that, uh, you know, you because you want people coming to you for your style and approach and not just to say, hey, can you reproduce, you know, what this photographer style is? Um, that's that's mm -hmm. the end goal, I think. But but in your case, how did you find your voice or find your style? What What was that process like for you? That's a good question. I have this workshop that I used to run. Um, it's called Cell Development. And I did this to myself coming from an art director background. So what I did for myself is I printed, I collected about 50 images. I printed them all. Um, people don't have to print it, but I highly recommend printing it. It's different if there's a tangible object that you can actually see in the physical world more than just your screen. So I collected these 50 images, printed them all, and put it in my wall. And then every day, for however long that was, I would write down common themes that I see from it. And I would write down why I like this image or what attracted me to this image. And as time goes by, every time I have a shoot, I would print one image and attach it in there if I feel like it goes with my style. And I also start inviting other photographers to come in and take a look at this wall that I created and then let me know what they're seeing. What are the common theme? Is there a common theme in the color? Is it the mood of the image? Is is most of the images give a happy um, feeling in it or a mystery in the shot. So that's basically what I did to find my style. That being said, I feel like I still don't know my style though and I'm still working on it, but at least it becomes more clear as to what type of images attracts you and why that attracts you. Mm. You know, thinking about that uh, piece of advice you got from a fellow creative about you know surviving the first two years, as you look back at your career, can you talk about a moment where you felt that validation? Like, uh, you know, this all this time and sweat and effort is starting to pay off and, and you're starting to see some returns and results for, for all the work? Yeah. I guess it was different every time, but the most recent one that I can think of is when I was hired by a studio here for a three-day shoot and that three-day shoot basically covers my salary for the whole year, a whole previous year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so it was that big job that I got. And even for me as a portrait and um, photographer, a fashion photographer, I never called myself a fashion photographer until I booked my third campaign. Because I, there's always that imposter syndrome, I think, that goes to creatives as well. Mm -hmm. like, I always thought I was just faking it. But when I booked the third campaign, it's like, oh, maybe I'm not faking it anymore. Um, and the same thing with portraiture. Once I once I had like maybe five clients that have booked me for the rate that I'm asking, then that's how I become more confident in labeling myself as a as a photographer. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense either, but yeah. if I didn't answer the question, let me yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, imposter syndrome I think is so universal. It exists for people who are in the creative industries. It exists, I think, in every industry, mm -hmm. and something that we all deal with in in different ways. 
how do you quiet that voice or uh, or rise above that to to just kind of put it aside and and do the work or, or do what needs doing oh man that's i i don't know if i can quiet that voice but one thing that i do i always get nervous no matter how big or small the shoot is but one thing that i do before i walk in in my studio um there's this thing that i this might sound weird but i i, I love to wear accessories and there's this bracelet that I always wear if I feel like I have to put a persona in. Mm-hmm. And and I just, it's just, it helps me process it. I just wear this bracelet that I have and then it, it helps me put in, I guess, the persona that this is who I am. Mm-hmm. So to answer that, how do I put that, that imposter syndrome aside? I don't, I don't know if I have ever get rid of it or if I will ever get rid of it. I feel like it's always going to be with me. You shot with a whole host of actors, personalities from across film and television, uh, whether it's someone like Leah Lewis or Stephanie Beatriz or, or an athlete like Meta World Peace. I mean, how did you get your foot into that, into that door and, and to you know, get the kind of uh, subjects that you want to shoot with? Yes. Uh, funny enough, after I got fired from this fashion brand, during the time when I was working with this fashion brand, I was submitting some of my editorials to this magazine in L.A., and then I found out that she was in Vancouver at the time. So I, I keep messaging her, keep saying like, hey, let's meet for a coffee. We'd love to take you out for a coffee. So finally, we um, we met for coffee. And then during our meeting, it's it's not like I'm trying to sell anything. I just really want to meet this person, this photo, this photo, um, this editor-in-chief of a magazine. And this at the end of our meeting, she told me that she wanted to learn more about photography. So I said like, oh, why don't you come in my studio? I'll show you how I do lighting um, and you can just invite like a model or a talent that we can photograph. And I didn't know, I didn't know this, but apparently this friend, um, this woman, which is a friend of mine now, her husband is an actor and they're very connected to be, to the acting industry in Vancouver and in LA. Mm -hmm. So the first person that she, that she bought in was Keenan Tracy, which is an actor. Mm -hmm. So, and I didn't know, I didn't know any actors at the time. So we, so I showed her the lighting, showed her how to photograph. The next day she pulled Emily Bett, which I'm very familiar because of Arrow. Mm -hmm. And then after that shoot, um, we sat down together. I was teaching how to retouch and our friendship just kind of grew from there. And then she gave me, she's actually the one who introduced me to portraitures because I was struggling with my business at this time. I didn't know where to find fashion clients because there's not a lot of fashion in, in Vancouver. Then she told me, like, why don't you um, start looking at portraiture, like maybe do headshots for local actors and then do um, spec shoots for for actors. And then I told her, like, well, I don't really know how to approach that or I don't really have any connection for that. So she started pulling more talent like Madeline Petch, for example, from Riverdale. Um, and, and I just kept shooting. And at this time, I was still very much focused in fashion that I basically didn't know how to take a portrait. Like for me, it's the clothing is always the most important, not the subject. Mm. But through, throughout time, I, I did my research. I looked for photographers that I admire locally and in the States and international. And then kind of learned more from that. What are the images um, that they're taking? What type of lighting this uh, publication wants? What's the easiest portrait to sell, for example? But yeah. Yeah, that that's an interesting uh, thing that you just said there about portraiture so before your your sort of philosophy had been that it was more about the clothing than the subject does that shift in portraiture like what 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 goes through your mind as you're approaching 
a portrait shoot with somebody? What are the sorts of things that uh, you, you're taking into consideration about framing the, the shot just right? So in a perfect world where I have half day with the talent, for example, and I say this because a lot of the jobs, you only have about five minutes with the talent and then they have to go. Mm-hmm. But in a perfect world that I have a half day, I have a full team here, makeup stylist and, and on, on set, I value, and my team knows this, I value the time that I can get to know the talent. Like while they're doing their hair and makeup, I like to talk to them. Or if there's an opportunity for me to meet the talent before the shoot, I would take that opportunity. Because for me, it's very important for me to represent them in one frame as to who they are aside from their role in film and TV. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally love um, the in-between shots of what we call it. Like something that they're not posing, something where their guard is down. And I was listening recently to uh, a video or a documentary with Peter Lindbergh, which is an amazing photographer. And in this documentary, he said like he um, he loved a lot of the shots that he loves are the shot where the model is taking their cigarette break or their um, coffee break because the guards the guards are down. They're not tense. They're not trying to look good. They're not trying to look pretty and cool, but it's just being them. And then that's when he snapped the photo. And basically, that has been my approach in portraiture. Like, I want them to be relaxed. I want to be able um, to laugh with them, to maybe cry with them on set if needed, and, uh, and to get that unguarded moment. One other element uh, going into a photograph, you've written about lighting before, that for photographers, yes. it's an equivalent to the painter's paint. Uh, could you talk about that, how, how, how you use lighting in a photograph? Yeah. Oh man, you did your research. <laughs> um, so okay. So imagine a room when there when uh, when there's no light. It's just black, right? And once you start putting light, let's say behind the subject, you see a little bit of a texture. And once you add more light in front, for example, you can see the person a little bit more. So my philosophy, I guess, coming from a fine art background, is is you. Photography is literally painting with light because without light, there's nothing. And I'm not sure if a lot of people would understand would understand that, but the best description that I have is if you're in the dark room when there's no light, there's not even a little bit of light that's crawling, uh, that's, that's crawling in under the door. Once you turn on one light, you start to see dimension more. Once you move that light, the dimension change and the texture change. And that's how I approach my lighting. So... Another example for that is when you're shooting food, for example, you want to photo, you want to light the food from behind, not from the front. But when you're photographing a person, you want to light it from the front because you don't want to see the texture of the skin. Mm-hmm. I, I won't ask you too many more questions, but just, uh, you know, thinking about your, your career, back at the start of this year, uh, you wrote about there being mm-hmm. a big shift in your career where you know, people finally see my work for what it is and me for who I am. Could you talk about that? Yeah. Um, when I started in photography, I really had a hard time connecting with, I guess, talents and and agencies in town. And for, and I, honestly, for me, I didn't put anything about it. I thought it was just maybe my work's not there yet. And that's, I'm pretty sure that's partly true. But ever since the BLM movement had happened, for some reason, my schedule becomes so busy, like, since January from mid-April, I was booked almost seven days a week, for example. Mm. 
but nothing has really changed in my business, at least in my approach to photography for the last two years. So that was made me question. Um, in in Vancouver alone, for example, I had a hard time connecting with talents. I always want to work with different talents uh, or different, um, let's say, hair and makeup stylists, but they always seem to not want to work with me. And in my understanding before, it was just my style. But I've also felt this, and and I don't know how to say this. That's not going to sound negative. But it, but it also felt as if I'm just not cool enough to be part of their crew. Mm-hmm. And it's, this is the sad part about fashion, I guess, or or working with the stars, for example. It's just always that connotation that you always have to be this cool person. That if you're that if you're not, then you can't sit with us. And that's something that I'm trying to break for myself as well. Anyway, the funny part for me is that's only happening in Vancouver. That's not happening with me in the states. Like whenever I go to LA, I work with what I consider are one of the top talents in LA. But every time I come come back home in, in Vancouver, it seems that I can't break this wall and I didn't understand why. And I still don't understand why. And mm-hmm. I still don't understand why I start working with the talent that I want to work with. And and it's it's funny because in uh, late last year when I start working with this few talents that I've always admired, I took a step back um, asking myself like, wait a minute, why do I want to work with these people? Is it just because I want, I want to feel like I'm part of their group or is it because I think they're talented? And some of them I have to get rid of um, from working with because I felt like I'm just, not that they're bad or anything, but I felt like I was just seeking approval more than pursuing what I love to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How has uh, that realization changed in terms of uh, the people that you seek out when you're, you know, when you're deciding on who you shoot with or, or who you want to shoot with? Hmm. Um. To be honest, I don't really know how that has changed. Um, all I know is now I'm happier. I know the people that I work with. I know that I love working with them. And I'm not chasing this approval that I wanted, that I felt like I deserved, but I couldn't get. Mm-hmm. Like now, I do it because I want to do it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned before not being yet uh, quite where you want to be. What's, what's something that you haven't done yet that you still want to do? What's on the horizon of something that's still out there that you'd like to do? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I wanted to do more um, in the industry. We call it gallery shoot, which is basically the post movie posters. So I wanted to do more of that, um, and that's more for the business part. But for the creative part, like I want to, at least right now, I think my I would call myself um, if I would call myself a fashion or a portrait photographer, I would have in my dreams. I I wanted to be. To go to be flown somewhere else, maybe in Iceland, let's say, and do and shoot a five-day campaign in there, and that's something that I've been looking for right now. I don't know if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, but that's what I wanted. Um, my favorite photographer is Peter Lindbergh, and I want to be close to where his career is at. And I know a lot of people wanted that, and I I'm not sure if I would ever get there. But even if I don't get there, I'm pretty happy as to where photography has taken me already. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. If you enjoyed the show, do me a favor, hit subscribe, leave a rating and review, and most of all, tell someone else about it. We're just getting back in the groove of things. There will be more episodes soon. I promise that. 
If you want to get in touch, send me an email at storyuntoldpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow on Facebook at facebook.com slash storyuntoldpodcast. And you can find me on Twitter at Martin underscore Bauman. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle, off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman, and this was A Story Untold. See you next time. Mm-hmm.